This is the Sports Psychology Hour with Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you. Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show. The Sports Psychology Hour. The best advice on the radio each and every week. Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life. It happens in sports. And I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively. This is where sports talk gets real. That word playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Good morning, everybody. I'm sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and welcome to the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810, WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. We talk about the mental side of sports on this show. If you've listened, you know that uh, I've been on the air here for a long time, 28 years in Kansas City, and my 18th year here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Our show is now broadcast in a number of cities around the country, which I'm excited to say. And our list is growing, so I'm looking forward every week to talking with you and getting into discussions about mindsets and attitudes and focus. And I've been very, very fortunate to uh, have been able to be doing this show here at Sports Radio 810 WHB and having the show um, broadcast nationally. And, you know, there aren't really any other shows like this on the radio around the country because I deal with the mind, the mental side of sports. And I've been privileged enough in the 39 years I've been at work to work with all kinds of people from youth sports all the way up to the Olympics and professional teams. You know, we're now into October and we've got the NFL college football season in full swing. College basketball is about to get started. The NHL and the NBA are getting going. Baseball playoffs are starting. It's an exciting time. There's sports activities are going on everywhere. And there's all kinds of fun stuff happening this time of year. October is my favorite month of the year. The seasons are changing. The leaves are changing. But it's also a very important time. This week is Mental Illness Awareness Week. Now, this is a sports psychology show, but psychology is about mental health. And October 10th is World Mental Health Day. And it's something that I want to get into today about mental health and sports and coaches, and athletes, and parents. Because here's the deal. I've said it hundreds and hundreds of times on the the radio since I've been on the air. Athletes and coaches are people. You don't have to be immune as a sports personality, sports person to mental illness, mental health issues. I've worked with athletes at all levels. Great example, in my opinion, if we take Antonio Brown, who is no longer playing in the NFL, was playing for the Steelers last year, then went to the Raiders in a trade, then was released and went to the Patriots and was released because of alleged sexual improprieties with two women. I don't know him, never met him, but if you read about him and you listen to the things that are going on, obviously he's an individual with some problems. Now, he's a great athlete. But he obviously has some issues. When we look at mental health, a lot of people think somebody who has a psychological issue is screwed up. Well, you know what? Most people have psychological issues. We all have different things we're dealing with in our lives. 
And the psychological side plays such a key role in what you do in your life every day. A couple of years ago, we published a book called Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports. My co-authors are Jeff Montgomery, the record holder for the Kansas City Royals for most saves, over 300 saves in his career. He's in the Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame. And Pete Malone, who coached for over 40 years as a swim coach and had five Olympic gold medalists. Both individuals I've known for years. Both also coached each of my sons. And I asked them to, to, to co-write the book with me because of their experience, their successes, but also because they coached my kids and they coached them with the right perspective. In our book, which I'm finding a lot of people have been reading, we talk all about the coach-parent-athlete relationship. And we throw officials in there too. Everything affects a kid. When you have a son or daughter who's playing sports, how they're coached, how they're talked to, how they're dealt with is deeply impacted by the people that they're surrounded with. And it has a lot it has a lot to do with a lot of things. It has a lot to do with how people handle them, how people treat them, how people talk to them. Okay, all these issues affect them deeply. And you have to sit and think about confidence. When we talk about sports, and I talk about it all the time, the importance of self-confidence comes up. What is self-confidence? To me, it's the ability to believe in yourself. How is your self-confidence affected by what people say to you, how people talk to you? It's deeply affected. As I said, I've been in practice for 39 years, a long time. I've seen, <clears throat> I'm seeing younger and younger kids in my office now. Eight, nine-year-olds who are coming in because they have confidence issues. And you're sitting there saying, why would, it, why would an eight or nine-year-old have a confidence issue? Well, what I'm finding is a lot of them are deeply affected by how they're coached, what coaches say to them, how they're talked to, how they're treated. And if a negative thing is stated to them, they take it personally. I've had kids come in and say, well, I struck out and the coach said, we, we lost the game because you struck out. How you communicate, how you talk to people affects mindsets. And because World Mental Health Day is this week, I wanted to get into this today. The second half of our show, psychiatrist Dr. Rory Murphy will be joining us. I've known Dr. Murphy for years. He works with all kinds of people. And we're going to discuss just how important, from a psychiatrist's perspective, mental health is with the relationship with parents and kids. But I'd like to open up our phone lines. If you are a coach, how do you talk to the kids you coach? Have you found that the way you talk to them can impact them emotionally, psychologically, mentally? And when it does, what does it do? I have a young lady I'm working with right now who's an eighth grader, an eighth grader, and she's a really good athlete. She is a softball player. And she told me about a game she came out of a couple weeks ago where she made two great plays in the first couple innings at first base. And then in one inning, she made two errors. The coach took her out in the middle of the inning, came out, subbed her out, said, go sit at the end of the bench. What do you think he said to her? Nothing. He just glared at her. What do you think that did for her confidence? It knocked it down. 
She felt terrible. Afterwards, her mom went up to the coach and said, listen, you can do whatever you want in the game. But you know what? You took my daughter out and you didn't say anything to her. He said, well, she screwed up. She's got to do better. And she said, well, did you think that maybe you should say something to her? He goes, no, she needs to think about it. She needs to be tough. Well, is that how you coach? Is that the way to do it? Is that the way to talk to an eighth grade kid? 13, 14 year old kid? No, you talk to them. You explain things. See, so much of this comes about ego and communication. Mental health is how we feel about ourselves. I've always felt we're, in, we're reflections of three things. The way we're raised, our genetics, and the environment we're in now. Can't do anything about our genetics. Can't do anything about the way we're raised. We can do a hell of a lot about the way, what we're dealing with now. And so much of this is about communication. So I'd like to open up our phone lines. If you are a coach... How do you talk to your athletes and do you find that affects them psychologically, emotionally? If you have played sports before and you've had a coach or a parent or a teacher talk to you in a derogatory, negative way, and it had an impact on you, I'd like to hear from you on that as well. How did you handle that? How did you deal with that emotionally, psychologically? If you're a parent, if you're a parent, and your son or daughter has had a teacher, a coach, a teammate insult them, degrade them, make fun of them. They're, they're in a game and another parent at a game yells at your son or daughter because they struck out or they dropped a ball or they missed a play. How do you react to that? The mindset, mental health in the end is the bottom line. Because if you're not psychologically healthy, I don't care how physically good you are. You've got to have a good balance there. So I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, you're an athlete, you're a parent, I'd like to get into discussion with this. Psychiatrist Dr. Rory Murphy is going to be joining us the second half of the show to talk about this. It's an important topic. You know, I always like to say you can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will come out on top. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com radio. That's winnersunlimited.com radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com radio. The world of youth sports has grown tremendously in the last few years, and with that growth comes questions. What's the right age to let my child start playing? When should winning and losing become important? And how can the youth sports experience be fun? 
These questions and many more are addressed head-on in sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs' book, Just Let Him Play, guiding parents, coaches, and athletes through youth sports. Written with Major League Baseball pitcher Jeff Montgomery and Hall of Fame swimming coach Peter Malone, Just Let Him Play tackles the issues that make youth sports increasingly difficult for parents, coaches, officials, and especially kids. Just Let Him Play explains the importance of winning and losing, success and failure, and why it's okay when not every athlete gets a trophy. For more information and to get your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click Products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click Products. One more time, for your copy of Just Let Him Play, go to winnersunlimited.com and click Products. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section. When dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And this is Mental Illness Awareness Week. And October 10th is the World Mental Health Day. So I wanted to talk about mental health on this show today. As I started off saying, we're going to have a guest on the second half of the show. Dr. Rory Murphy is a psychiatrist. We'll be talking with him about his opinion on the mind and sports and mental health. And, you know, we talk about sports. Kids need to play sports. They need to get involved for physical and psychological reasons. It's a great thing to do, to exercise, to work out, to do those things. Too many kids sit in front of computers, in front of their devices. You need to get an exercise. What really? What is mental health really about? It's about how we feel about ourselves, how we deal with things, how we handle pressure, how we handle stress, how we react to, to 
people, how we communicate. In all the years I've been working as a sports psychologist, I've noticed a change. I've noticed a change in that youth sports now has become much more developed. It's a business. You know, we have tournaments and and competitions for kids at four and five years of age now, which I just have a real problem with. I don't. I think it's great to teach sports to kids to teach teach kids how to play. Last week I had Michelle Holmes on. She teaches golf in Virginia, has three golf schools, and she starts teaching kids golf. That, you know, age three and four, but she teaches them how to play and how to have fun. Doesn't teach them to go win, to go play and have fun, to enjoy the experience. And I've read a lot about her online. Tremendous comments from people because she coaches kids to enjoy the experience. Golf is a sport you can play your whole life, but it's a sport you can enjoy and have fun with. I said earlier, I like to say when you have two athletes who are physically the same, the one with a stronger mind will come out on top. Well, what's a stronger mind? Has a lot to do with what we're taught and in the end about self-confidence. If your confidence is strong, then you've probably learned how to fail. You've probably learned how to deal with negativity. You've probably learned how to deal with things when they don't go well. I'd like to hear from you. You're a parent, you're a coach. How has your confidence been affected? How does it affect the people you play with? How does it hurt you or help you? Mental health is how we feel about ourselves. And you look at sports performances and, and you know, we've got the baseball playoffs going on now. Listen to the interviews with the players and coaches after. So much of it has to do with self-confidence. The teams that win, the teams that come out on top, talk about their confidence was high. The teams that don't play well, they'll infer something about their confidence wasn't good. How you feel about yourself, how you deal with things psychologically has such a strong impact on success and failure. I think it comes from, it all starts with how we communicate. What do you say? How do you say it? Who do you say it to? If you're a coach, the message you give kids is strong. It's meaningful. And if you let your ego as a coach get in the way, oftentimes it can be really detrimental. Oftentimes it can affect kids in a negative, derogatory way. We've still got time to get some calls in here. I'd like to hear from you. If you're a coach, how much of an impact do you think you have on the kids you coach? How, how, how do you affect them? Have you ever thought about how you say what you say? The impact it has on the kids and how it is interpreted and how they think about it, how they feel about it. Have you ever had a young man or woman on your team down at the end of the bench who isn't playing, doesn't get to go in the game very much? You ever thought about how do they feel? Do you ever ask them how they're feeling? Do you ever talk to them about what they need to do to get better? So much of this is all about communication. Now, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of psychological problems. There are all kinds of people who have deep-set psychological problems. A lot of them play sports. But their psychological issues oftentimes can be hidden because they're great athletes. I think it's important to psychologically evaluate athletes as much as physically evaluate them. 
Get to know them. Why are you playing? What are your goals? How were you raised? Talk about things like confidence and attitude. Talk about how they feel about themselves. As a coach, get to know the athlete as a person. Just because somebody can run fast or jump high or throw a ball or do some dunk a basketball doesn't mean that they're psychologically together. And I think it's your job. You know, a good coach is a good psychologist. I always say a bad coach needs a sports psychologist. So, so much of this comes back to communication. And I think if you're a parent and you're signing your son or daughter up for a team, you need to ask yourself, why do I want my son or daughter on that team? Will it be a beneficial thing for them? Will it be helpful for them? Or will it be detrimental? How much of a role will that coach play? How much of an impact will that coach have on our kids? I'd like to hear if you're a coach. If you've played sports, if you've had a coach who talked to you in a derogatory way or negative way or a positive way, what kind of an impact did that have on you and how you play? It's been well talked about how Patrick Mahomes, the league MVP, has a great relationship with Andy Reid. He grew up with parents who are very supportive. His father is an ex-major league baseball player. Seems like a very solid young man. But you watch how Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes communicate during games. They sit down when he's on the bench. They talk about plays. They work on things. They've got a positive, healthy relationship. That relationship is dependent on communication and on understanding each other, understanding strengths and weaknesses, understanding fears. That's the other thing. I think when we talk about mental health, I think it's important to understand what people, what scares people, what people are afraid of. The mindset has such a key role. And I think if you're, if you are a coach, you know, we look at kids, you want to see a kid who can throw a ball or hit a ball or catch something or run fast. But I think it's also important to look at how they handle things. How do they handle pressure? How do they handle stress? How do they react to anxiety? You know, so many people suffer from anxiety issues. Anxiety is part of life. Stress is part of life. We need it or we can't get through the day. But how those things affect us and impact us is so important. And so I think it's important as a coach to take some time to ask yourself, how can I understand my athletes better psychologically, emotionally? Well, you know what the answer is? You talk to them. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Are you an athlete, competitor, or ordinary individual who wants to learn how to relax, build confidence, and think more positively? Then the 20 Minutes to Success series of digital downloads and audio CDs from sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs are perfect for you. 20 Minutes to Success will teach you techniques to help you succeed. Dr. Jacobs covers topics like deep breathing for better focus, confidence building, and positive visualization. The 20 Minutes to Success series includes programs for individual sports like swimming, running, tennis, and baseball. You can also target overall athletic performance or relaxation. For more information and to get 20 minutes to success on digital download or CD, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. That's winnersunlimited.com and click products. One more time, to get 20 minutes to success, go to winnersunlimited.com and click products. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? 
I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. If you suffer from COPD symptoms like shortness of breath and fatigue, where do you turn? There are medications and oxygen, but do you know about pulmonary rehab? Three out of five COPD patients have never heard of it. Pulmonary rehab is an exercise, education, and support program that gives you tools to manage your condition, and Medicare typically pays for it. So whether it's grocery shopping on your own or just walking across the room, pulmonary rehab can help you. Visit livebetter.org to find out about your options for pulmonary rehab today. Here's farmer and landowner John Prue. We purchased the land about three years ago, and there was an old farmstead on there with trees. We were going to clear the land so we could farm through it. We thought we knew where the pipe was, so we didn't call to get it located. The work on our property led to the damage of a light crude pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week as we talk about the psychological side of sports. And as I've been uh, mentioning so far on our show, t- this is World Mental Health Day. will be coming up this week on October 10th. It is Mental Illness Awareness Week. And consequently, I thought it'd be great to have... Not only myself, but another expert in the field, Dr. Roy Murphy on with me today. He's a psychiatrist in the Kansas City area. And I want to talk about the role of mental health in, in not just in sports, but in life. Good morning, Rory. How are you today? Good morning, Andy. I'm fine. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining me today. You know, we've known each other a long time. You've been on the show before. You've worked with 
athletes at all levels. And we, we, we look at this week, you know, it's, it's Mental Illness Awareness Week. What's that basically mean? I mean, we're, we should always be aware of our mental health. Why, why do we all of a sudden have a week to acknowledge that? Well, I guess it's an attempt to try to um, further destigmatize mental illness and to make people talk about it and to realize that it, it, it's very widespread and that it's okay to acknowledge that, to talk about it. And, you know, for years, people thought somebody who's psychologically ill with some kind of an issue is all screwed up. There are all kinds of psychological issues, and sports is not immune to that. We've seen... You know, I mentioned at the top of the show, Antonio Brown, the ex-NFL player now, who was with the Steelers briefly with the Raiders and the Patriots this year, he's got some psychological issues. I think that's pretty obvious, right? Well, yeah, I followed the close, uh, somewhat closely in the media about that story, and it was hard to understand uh, some of the decisions he made. Um, it, uh, it made me wonder about that, I don't. I don't have any details about him, though. Well, right, neither of us do. But but the fact of the matter is, his behavior is obviously different from that of most people. And you know, Roy, most you know, we 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 hear when we talk about mental health, so many people associate it with a psychological problem. But it, mental health isn't about psychological problems; it's about how you feel about yourself. I mean, it it can involve that, but a, a healthy. Mental health is what? When somebody's healthy mentally, what does that mean? Well, one of the best definitions that I've heard over my 30-plus years in the field is mental health is the ability to work, love, and play. And so it's a very broad definition, but we think about a person who has a meaningful career. We think about someone who has meaningful relationships, say, friends and family, and someone who can also uh, have some time in their life where they just play, that's going to, generally speaking, be a pretty healthy person. And by the same uh, token, if you look at people you might know in your life or that uh, listeners might know in their lives um, who are lacking in one or two of those areas, uh, you can start to see... um, where, where it's not as healthy. You know, the the NFL is, as I mentioned this earlier, is now uh, making it mandatory that all teams have a mental health clinician on staff. Don't you think every sports team, collegiately as well as professionally, should have somebody like that around? Well, it makes sense to me, especially because these uh, athletes are, they're so elite in terms of their abilities and the, uh, amount of time and energy and effort that they've put in to to get where they are in their professional careers. Um, but like anything in life, um, if you hit, it, it can go too far. And uh, we see that, for example, I don't know why it comes to my mind about the Olympics and some of the, the gymnasts that uh, we know over the years we've heard stories about problems they had with mental health because uh, it was like the pressure on them was so immense to be so perfect all the time. And we know that that didn't lead to good things for them. So well, there's, so there's, there's well-documented uh, research, especially for, for young female athletes who are gymnasts 
or swimmers or runners, figure skaters with eating disorders. It's very prominent because they are pushed by coaches to be at certain weights. And consequently, they develop these eating disorders that they wouldn't have had otherwise, probably, because of the pressure, right? I mean, it's how we, so much of mental health, our psychological state, really is affected by the people who influence and affect us in, in a in a uh, supervisory role. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, yes, very much so. So when you have a coach who's very controlling, who doesn't communicate well, in a positive way, but is derogatory and negative, Rory. What, what you've got, you have a young person that comes in your office and you evaluate people for medication management, but you also talk to people because psychiatrists do talk to people. You know, a lot of people get this misnomer. You just give out drugs. No, you talk with people too. That's part of what you do. You have to talk yeah. with them to get to know them. But when you have somebody that comes in with that, how do you, what will you say to them when they have, let's say a controlling person in their life, maybe a coach, who they feel intimidated by or scared of? Well, this can be a very uh, harmful situation, especially for a young person. And um, when I, you mentioned self-esteem earlier, and I and I think you're absolutely right about the, how critically important that is. Self-esteem is built in young people on several main factors. One of those is being loved and valued by the people that. Uh, are important in life, typically parents, but it may in many cases uh, be a parent figure like a coach. And also uh, self-esteem is built upon uh, personal achievements that the individual has actually achieved. And in the case of athletics, sometimes those two merge together where the achievement that the uh, individual is uh, doing athletically but then they start to perceive that the approval of the parent figure is contingent upon their continued uh, high level of achievement. And, and so it becomes uh, a very intense pressure for them. So I, I think they need to get some perspective on that and understand if the coach is yelling at them or uh, berating them, uh, that this is a, not a healthy situation. You know, you're hitting on something as, uh, as I'm listening to you talk. The word communication keeps flying through my head. And I, t- I talked with an individual a couple weeks ago. He said, Doc, what are, what are some, the three key things you found in your work throughout the years that impact people? And the, and the first thing that I said was, well, the first thing is how we communicate, the way we communicate, the manner we communicate, the way we express ourselves. That then affects our confidence. And then that then affects our attitude. So it really doesn't, Roy, it, it starts with good coaching starts with being a good communicator and being a good psychologist, good therapist. I would say a good, good coach, a good psychologist, right? Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. And, and, and good athletes can very much benefit from the insights that a good therapist can help them achieve. And um, going back to your point about the importance of having some uh, mental health professionals involved with Every professional sport team, and college teams as well. I mean, I, I obviously to me it should be at every level, but every everybody can't afford that. But the fact of the matter is, being that that this is Mental Illness Awareness Week, I think it's important for people to take some time to think about how do I feel, not just physically, but but emotionally as well. Okay, mm-hmm. how do how do I feel, and how does that affect what I do? 
How does that affect how I relate or don't relate to my teammates? How do I get along with people? I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Joining me this morning is psychiatrist Dr. Rory Murphy. It's Mental Illness Awareness Week. We're talking about the role mental health plays in, in life, really. And if you'd like to join our conversation, if you're a coach and you wonder about how you communicate, maybe you're communicating the wrong way to some of the athletes, the message you're giving them may be hurting them. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development. Our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Here's farmer and businessman James Wood. We farm about 3,500 acres. There's pipelines everywhere. The contractor working on my property did not have the lines located before he began work, and it resulted on a strike on a natural gas pipeline. Fortunately, no one was hurt, but it could have been much worse. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety campaign. All across the country, people are coming together to speed up what we can learn about health. The All of Us Research Program is calling on one million people to join us as we try to change the future of health. For your family, for future generations, for all of us. Visit joinallofus.org and find out how you can become one in a million. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration.
This is the Sports Psychology Hour. And I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. From our flagship station, Sports Radio, A10 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week. Our shows broadcast a number of cities around the country. And joining me today is Dr. Rory Murphy. He's a psychiatrist in the Kansas City area. He's worked with people for over 30 years and has worked with a lot of athletes as well. And I've known Rory. We've worked together on a number of uh, situations. And, you know, Rory, being that this is Mental Illness Awareness Week and that World Mental Health Day is, is on October 10th, how do we get, if, if you've got a young man or woman that comes in your office and they've got a confidence issue, their confidence is affected by, in part, their coaches, how they're talked to, or maybe their teachers, it doesn't have to be a coach, be a teacher, but how they're talked to, how, how they feel they're being dealt with, what do you say to them about handling that? You've got a maybe a junior, a middle school, junior high age child, high school kid coming in. What do you tell them? Well, I often talk to them about their perception of what their goals are and what is uh, the gap between who they think they should be and who they think they are. So that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point. Who they think they should be and who they think they are. Because you meet all different types. Sometimes you meet a person that is already a very high achiever, say, athletically, academically, and in other areas of their life, but then they still speak about themselves in derogatory terms, and and, and no matter what they do, it never seems to be good enough. They never can feel that satisfied or that they're worthy. And then you meet other types that are just the opposite, that uh, are failing in multiple areas of their life, but they don't think there's anything wrong with them at all. So... These are disorders of um, perception in terms of their being unrealistic about their self-assessments. And sometimes the process of discussing that with a professional helps an individual reflect upon it and get a more realistic view. Why, Why do you think mental health is looked on in such a negative way by so many people? It's like if somebody has a psychological, and we all have psychological issues. You do, I do, everybody does. Okay, so why is it, why do you think as a psychiatrist you think people look at it so negatively? Well, that's an interesting question, and I, I've heard a lot of discussion over, over the years about it. Well, all I can say is I think that people somehow feel that it means that there's a fault, that there's something wrong with them, or there's something bad about it, as if they're morally ashamed of it, and where they wouldn't necessarily feel that way if they um, fell off a jungle gym and broke their arm. And they would feel that it was an unfortunate accident and they just needed to be get some medical care and, and have their broken bone heal up. But when it comes to mental health, people don't seem to see it quite the same way. They see it as a people. What I see have have noticed throughout my 39 years of work is people see mental health. If you're weak mentally... It means you're a weak person. If there's something wrong mentally, they see you as a weak person. And that's not, it's not, not that way at all, obviously, from our perspective. But a lot of people look at it that way. Oh, well, you obviously aren't very strong. Well, everybody's got an issue with something. And to me, a lot of it, like I said, it's, it's how we're raised. You know, in, in my book, our third chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. Because I, I think if we teach young people today 
how to fail and lose and understand what it's about and, and, and understand it's part of life rather than being scared of it. I think that will help confidence and other issues as we get older. What do you think about that? I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I, I remember as a child even feeling that way, um, starting something new or playing a new kind of game or trying to do something with a friend that I'd never done before, like, and uh, I didn't know how to do it, but it was okay. If I tried it and it didn't, I didn't do it right, that was okay. I, I just was going to try it and learn. And somehow I feel like many of us forget that sometimes, that it's okay to fail. Well, I know, I know probably because the way I was raised, my father was a very prominent physician, and he, he expected perfection. Well, perfection didn't exist. And... Probably the reason I do this for a living is because of the way I was talked to by him growing up. Because the, the worst thing I ever did, Rory, was make straight A's my first grade card in junior high because I never made it again. <laughs> and I always heard that from him. And I think, you know, you, you, so confidence was an issue for me. I know when I played tennis because I was afraid to lose. I was afraid to screw up. And it's probably why I became a sports psychologist because it's like – I don't. I didn't like the way I felt, and I wanted to help people deal with that. So mindsets play such a key role. I mean, if if you're not mentally healthy, and you're an athlete, how long can you get by before everybody starts to figure it out? What do you think? You know, like let's take you know Antonio Brown. Obviously, I don't want to dwell on him, but it's it, he's basically been exposed for a lot of the issues. He's, this young man's got some problems. But because he was so good athletically, he was able to get by for a long time. But eventually it catches up with you, right? Well, yes. And um see it in the game of golf. You see people that kind of choke on the, the weekend. They can hit the ball like nobody else on the practice range and maybe on Thursday and Friday rounds of a tournament. And then week after week, or month after month, you see them just falter on the weekend. And it looks a lot like there's something going on with um, their ability to handle the, the pressure when they um, are getting close to, to winning or, or competing near the top of a leaderboard. So don't you, don't you believe very strongly that uh, learning how to deal with failure is, is an important component of life and, and that it can really, really help you? So not to be scared of it, but to embrace like That's why I say embracing it. Embracing it means learning that it's going to happen. We're going to screw up in life no matter what we do. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what you are, you're going to screw up, right? So how you handle that's important. So what do you say to somebody who comes into your office who's got to deal with that? I tell them that whoever didn't ever make a mistake in their life didn't do much else either. <laughs> you know, I, I always ask someone, are you a perfectionist? And, and, Quite commonly, I get the answer, yeah, Doc. And I go, well, wh whom have you ever met who's perfect? And then there's silence. Well, nobody. Then how can you be a perfectionist and try to be perfect when nobody's perfect? Mm -hmm. And I think there's that, that pressure. And what I see from so many people is they have trouble handling that pressure. And then consequently, their confidence goes down, their attitude goes down, their relationships go poor because they stop communicating, they get self-indulged in themselves, and then that's where a lot of these psychological issues can really exacerbate themselves. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. 
And I think that a, a broader perspective is needed. Sometimes people will come in and they'll sort of, I ask them how they've been doing, and then they tell me about something that's really bothering them that they said that they messed up in their life, let's put it that way, and they're feeling bad. And then I just tell them, well, you know, I, I used to poop my pants. But then they usually look at me with a shocked look, and I just say, well, I was three years old at the time. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we can take our mistakes uh, as learning experiences and recognize that we continue to grow and develop as human beings through the course of our lifespans, then the idea of uh, mistakes is more palatable that way. And we realize that just because we did it wrong today doesn't mean that we're going to do it wrong every time in the future. All right, before we wrap things up here, would you agree that when someone is on a team, you're a coach, I think it's a great, especially being that this is Mental Illness Awareness Week, World Mental Health Days this week. If you got kids on your team, look them in the eye and ask them, how are you? Give them a hug, shake their hand, embrace them, be positive, be uplifting with them. I think that's going to be really helpful. What do you think? Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean... I think it will make people feel better, and when you feel better, you're going to be more relaxed. When we're relaxed, you're going to play better and do better. Dr. Rory Murphy, I want to thank you for joining me today. If people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? Well, they can reach me at 913-438-8221. I'm in the Foxville Medical Building, where I've been in an office for over uh, 20 years. In Overland Park, Kansas? Yes. Well, listen, I want to thank you for joining me today. Great comments, and... Uh, Feel good about yourself today. It, it is Mental Health, mental Illness Awareness Week, so you take care of yourself. Thank you for Always joining Always great me. to visit with you. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. I'm Bye -bye. sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. I'm here every week. If you want to get a hold of me, there are a lot of ways you can find me. I'm on Twitter at drjsportspsych, at drjsportpsych. My website is winnersunlimited.com. You can send me an email there at drjwinnersunlimited.com. That's W-I-N-N-E-R-S. Our shows are podcasted here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. They're also on my website. And you can always reach me at my office at 816-561-5556. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Have a great week. Give somebody a hug this week. It's Mental Illness Awareness Week. Tell people you love them. Take care. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. You've been listening to the Sports Psychology Hour. For more information, go to winnersunlimited.com. I'm Dr. Andrew Jacobs. As a sports psychologist with 38 years of experience, I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and officials, assisting them at learning how to handle issues like sportsmanship, self-confidence, developing a positive realistic attitude, and achieving maximum performance. I want more people to know about the importance of having fun, learning from failure, and that winning is about doing your best. That's why I created the Sportsmanship Foundation, a 501c3 educational organization dedicated to promoting and educating parents and athletes about the role of good sportsmanship in our development, our priority is to help bring back the fun into youth sports. If you're interested in learning more or making a donation, go to winnersunlimited.com slash radio. That's winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Doing your best, having fun, and becoming a winner. The Sportsmanship Foundation at winnersunlimited.com slash radio. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. 
You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting this stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station.